as we go into our, uh, our time of preaching now, uh, if you would uh, bow with me, let's pray and ask the Lord to work in this time. Father, we come to you now and pray for the illumination of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to hear you speak to us through the scriptures. We want to have our eyes open to see wonderful things in your word. We want to have our hearts changed by the truth of your word. Lord, where we are strong, uh, Lord, we want to be encouraged. Lord, where we're growing weary, we want to uh, be exhorted to, to endurance. Where we have fallen, we want to repent. And um, Lord, all of that must all of that requires the work of your Holy Spirit. It's dependent on the Holy Spirit. He must work if that is to happen. So, Lord, we pray because we don't have it in ourselves. We're asking you to use this time. We're asking you to speak, asking you to work. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and be honored in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you found Revelation 2. Uh, in Revelation 1, we walked through it over the course of three weeks, and really, Revelation 1, if I had to sum it up, is all about hearing. Uh, look back with me uh, at Revelation 1, verse 3, in this promise that we heard a few weeks ago. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who, what? Hear, and who, what? Keep. What is written in it? For the time is near. So this, this promise of flourishing for the one who hears uh, and keeps the revelation uh, in this book. And then in verses 4 through 8, we saw the God of revelation unveiled, a God who is worth hearing, a God of grace and peace, the worthy redeemer, the coming king and judge, the sovereign God who is worth hearing. And, uh, and then in Revelation 1, 9 through 20, we saw this glorious vision of the Son of Man who came to John telling him to write because he had something to say to his churches. So we have a, a promise of blessing for those who hear. We have this God who is worth hearing. We have the Son of Man who has something he wants us to hear. Well, what is it then that we need to hear if hearing is so important? Well, that brings us to our uh, next section of Revelation that we're in, chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, contain seven messages to the seven churches that Revelation is written to. Uh, each of these seven messages deals with the specific circumstances of each individual church, the specific strengths and weaknesses, a, a message that's personalized for these individual churches. But at the end of each one of these messages, there's also a call for all the churches to hear each of these messages. And so as we look at each of these individual messages, we are hearing Jesus's words to us as a church that we need to hear and keep. With that, let's read Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. The Holy Spirit says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, 
who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Jesus has called his people to shine. Jesus has called his people to shine. So I'm titling this sermon today, The Shining Light of Truth and Love. The church of Jesus Christ is in a dark world. We're surrounded by spiritual darkness in this fallen world. And Jesus has called us as his people to be witnesses. Witnesses to who Jesus is. Witnesses to his grace through his death and resurrection. We are called to shine into the darkness as the light of Christ. And particularly, we shine through truth and love. We shine through truth as we proclaim the message of the gospel, and we shine through love as we demonstrate love for God and love for neighbor. Jesus has called his people to shine through truth and love. And if churches compromise and either love on the one hand or truth on the other hand, they don't shine as bright as they should. If churches compromise in truth or love, they don't shine as bright as they should. The church in Ephesus was shining bright when it comes to truth. They were standing for the truth. They were fighting those who would oppose the truth. But Ephesus was growing dim when it came to love. In fact, they were about to stop shining altogether. And so my prayer for us as we receive this message that Jesus gave to the church in Ephesus is that we would listen to our Lord Listen to this message he gave to this church and listen to this message that ultimately is for us and that we would shine for Christ through truth and love. Shine for Christ through truth and love. Well, how do we do that? First of all, listen to the Lord of the lampstands. Listen to the Lord of the lampstands. Look with me at verse 1 as Jesus identifies himself to the church in Ephesus. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, 
the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Uh, So like I said, in chapter 1, there was this symbolic vision that Jesus showed John of himself, of the Son of Man. And what we're going to see is that in each one of these seven messages to the seven churches, each one begins with a reference to that vision, to, to some part of that vision of Christ. Because there is some aspect of that vision that John that Jesus showed John that has to do with the particular message that each church needed to hear. In this case, he identifies himself to the Ephesians as the one who holds the stars and walks among the lampstands. This is a picture of Jesus's authority, his lordship over the churches. Back in uh, chapter 1 and verse 20, Jesus identified the stars as the angels of the seven churches. And so the angels of the seven churches uh, are uh, heavenly representatives of the earthly churches. They represent the church. In fact, they, they represent each local church so much that Jesus actually tells John to write to the angel of each church. And for Jesus then to hold these representatives of the churches in his right hand is a statement of his authority, his sovereignty over these churches. He holds them in his hand. The seven lampstands in uh, chapter 1 and verse 20 are identified as the seven churches. Uh, And we've talked already about how these are not only these seven specific churches from the first century, but also all churches of all times. Jesus is the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. In that opening vision, Jesus reveals himself as the high priest in the temple of God with the seven golden lampstands, and he tends to the seven lampstands. He walks among them. He observes, he oversees the seven lampstands. This is why Jesus is going to be able to say in verse 2, I know your works, because Jesus is walking among the lampstands, the churches. He sees what's going on in our church. He knows what is happening among us. The bad is not overlooked, but the good also does not escape his notice, even when it's in secret. Jesus is the one who has authority over the churches. He's the Lord of the lampstands. And I wonder if you could consider this. What do stars and lampstands have in common? They shine. They shine because Jesus wants to keep his churches shining. He wants his lampstands to shine bright. Part of the imagery of this lampstand is uh, the idea of being witnesses, shining as lights in the world for Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, in Revelation 11, John is going to see two witnesses who are called two lampstands. Being a lampstand, shining bright, is uh, uh, synonymous with being witnesses for Christ, representing him into the world, shining into the darkness. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 14 and 15, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. Same word. And it gives light to all in the house. So Jesus, the Lord of the lampstands, wants to help us shine 
as his witnesses. He wants to help his churches shine into this dark world. And if we are going to shine, we must listen to our Lord. We must listen to the one who walks among the lampstands. We must listen to the one who holds the seven stars. When a church grows dim in truth or in love, that church is failing to listen to the Lord. Churches grow dim when they think they know better than Jesus how to carry out their mission and to shine into the world. Churches that lose the truth say, you know, if we're going to reach people, we've got to stop being so dogmatic about doctrine. Churches that lose love say, our mission is to get doctrine right, and if you're not with us, get out of the way. But both fail to listen to Jesus and his call to love and to stand for the truth. If we are going to shine through truth and love, we must listen to the Lord of the lampstands. Second, love the truth. Love the truth. Jesus, after identifying himself, begins his message by encouraging the Ephesians in their tireless endurance. Look at verses 2 and 3. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. So Jesus praises the Ephesians for how they have loved the truth and how they have stood for the truth. Uh, There were these evil, false apostles who had infiltrated the church in Ephesus. Uh, So the apostles of Jesus were authorized representatives of Jesus, authorized to declare the very truth of God with the authority of Jesus. And so for someone to be claiming to be an apostle is to come and say to the church, here's what Jesus really says. Here's what Jesus told me that you need to hear. Here's the very words of Jesus. But the Ephesians, thankfully, did what we should always do with a claim of truth. They tested it. They tested it. And when these people who claimed to be apostles came into their church and made these claims, and and then they tested those claims, they found that the claims of these so-called apostles were false. They weighed them against the scriptures, they weighed them against the teaching of the true apostles, and they realized these these, uh, so-called apostles were false. Their teaching was not true, and so they wouldn't put up with it. And Jesus praises them for this. Well, what were these false apostles teaching within the church? Uh, well, we, we can't say for sure, but we get a couple of clues. So for one, um, if you look at verse 2, Jesus says, you cannot bear with those who are evil. So the way he chooses to identify them is with this word evil. It, it seems that perhaps they were teaching that certain things that God says are sins are actually okay. And that becomes clearer when we look then at verse 6. Look at verse 6. He says, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Again, this other group, the Nicolaitans, he says that they hate the works 
of the Nicolaitans, and these are works that Jesus hates. So it seems that this teaching that the false apostles and the uh, Nicolaitans were, were teaching were things that were uh, sins, uh, according to Jesus, and they were saying that these sins are actually okay. Uh, the Nicolaitans, we don't uh, know a ton about them, but they actually come up again in the message to the church in Pergamum. Look down at verses 14 and 15. But I have a few things against you, he says. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So in that message, he seems to relate the teaching of the Nicolaitans to those who would teach uh, and lead the people of God to uh, certain idolatrous practices and to sexual immorality specifically. So it seems that the teaching that the Ephesians were combating were teachers coming into the church uh, and giving them license to sin, saying that certain things are actually not sins uh, when Jesus had declared that they were sins. 1,900 years later, over 1,900 years later, and on the other side of the globe, not much has changed. Still today, false teachers are coming into local churches and trying to proclaim that certain practices are not sins, even though Scripture says they are sins. Today, you can find conferences and books and speakers and pastors and churches and social media influencers, for instance, who are trying to persuade Christians that certain things that the Bible calls sexual immorality are actually not sin. Uh, my TikTok feed is filled with people claiming to be Christians who are trying to convince their audience that homosexuality is not a sin according to Scripture. I can show you videos of so-called Christians who claim that the Bible teaches there are more than two genders. Uh, as I was preparing this sermon, a TikTok came on my feed, and it was a pastor who was trying to convince people that sex outside of marriage is not a sin. There are still today teachers coming into churches trying to claim that what the Bible says is sin is actually not a sin. It's not just sexual immorality, though. For instance, there are churches who promote idols like greed. Uh, there's a whole subculture of Christianity that is trying to convince people that God wants you to be rich and you ought to pursue wealth, idolatry. Sexual immorality, these are teachings that are still trying to take root in churches today. And we must hold fast to the truth in the face of this evil. Jesus hates these things. And he wants us to hate these things. But if we are going to hold fast to the truth, this takes toil and patient endurance, as Jesus praises the Ephesians for. Toil and patient endurance. On the one hand, it takes toil. We must actively study the truth of Scripture 
for ourselves. You, you need to be convinced for yourself that the Bible really says what you think it says. You need to be convinced for yourself. We need to be actively teaching our brothers and sisters what the Bible actually says. We need to be actively teaching our children what the Bible actually says. And and hear this, don't settle for, well, you know, I've always heard. Don't settle for, well, I've always believed. Because let me tell you, the false apostles and Nicolaitans of our day don't settle for, well, I've always heard. The false teachers who are trying to persuade Christians that the Bible doesn't actually say what it really says, they're coming in with translations of Hebrew and Greek. They're coming in to cite scholars. They've got Bible verses. They've got sophisticated arguments. And if you think you're going to stand up to that with, my mama told me this, you have got another thing coming. You have to know the Bible yourself. You have to know and actively, you have to toil, Jesus says. You've got to put in the work, the toil, to know Scripture for yourself so you can stand for the truth of God's Word. But it takes more than just that toil, that active element. It also takes patient endurance, a more passive element. More and more, the teaching that approves what Jesus hates is going to become commonplace in churches, among Christians, in Erath County even. And the more and more that churches are teaching this and Christians are believing this, the more and more it's going to be hard not to grow weary. We're going to be tempted to just be weary from trying to stand for the truth. Right now, churches are losing prospective members over these things. Right now, families are being torn apart over these things. Right now, in America, Christians are being persecuted for these things, and it's only going to get worse. So you have to ask, are you willing to stand firm on the truth of God's word even if it costs you? Are you willing to stand firm on the truth of God's word even when you are tempted to grow weary? As the people of God, we must not compromise the truth of the scriptures. We must stand firm. If we compromise on what the Bible says about sin, we lose the gospel. For those of you who are in the unsaved Christian class Wednesday and Sunday, this is a first order issue. When the Bible says sin is sin, that is a first order issue. And if we lose that, we lose the gospel. These sins that the false apostles and the Nicolaitans and the false teachers of our day, these sins that they say are not sins, are sins the Son of God had to die for. These are sins that people who practice them, if they are not saved and set free from those sins, they will be condemned for eternity. These are, this is not a joke. 
It's not a game. It's not optional. We lose what the Bible says about sins, and we lose the gospel. People need to be saved from these sins. We cannot shine into a dark world if we love the darkness rather than the light. We must love the truth. May we be a church that loves the truth and and is toiling in the truth and is enduring such that Jesus would say, I I know your toil and your patient endurance for my name's sake. When you're tempted to compromise, when you're tempted to grow weary, when, when it's exhausting to stand for the truth, just remember, Jesus sees. He knows he knows it, it maybe no one else sees but jesus sees he sees your faithfulness and he says i know i see and keep going may we love the truth but in that same breath third don't lose love don't lose love In our love for the truth, we must not lose love. Jesus praises the church in Ephesus for the way that they love the truth, the way that they stand against error. But not all is well in the church of Ephesus. Jesus says these dreaded words in verse 4. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The church in Ephesus hated what Jesus hates, but they forgot to love like Jesus loves. Losing love is a huge problem. Love is at the very heart of what it means to know God. Take your Bibles and turn a few pages back with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Look at 1 John 4 and verses 7 and 8. Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Where you see biblical love in a person, you see someone who knows God. Where you look at a person and do not see biblical love, you see a person who does not know God. In our love for the truth, we must not lose love. We must not lose Our love, first and foremost, for God. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all that we are. Knowing 
everything there is to know about the truth of God is worthless if you don't love God. Having airtight theology is worthless if you don't have a heart that is burning with a passion for God's glory. What shines into the darkness is a life that looks like you love nothing else besides God. In our zeal for the truth, we must not lose our love for the God of the truth. We must not lose our love for God. We also must not lose our love for the church. We don't love God if we don't love his people. We do not love God if we do not love his people. If you're still in 1 John 4, look down at verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We don't love God if we do not love his people. It doesn't matter how true your point is if you are harsh toward the person who disagrees with you. It doesn't matter how right you are in your theology if you are wrong in the way you treat people. When we don't love one another within the church, we are damaging our witness. We are not shining like we ought to shine. Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we are to shine, the world must not look in at the church and see fighting and slandering and mudslinging. If we are to shine into this dark world, the world needs to look in and see brotherly love. People who show they know God because they love one another. And in our love for the truth, we also must not lose our love for the lost. Jesus calls us to love our neighbor and he calls us to love our enemy. He calls us to pray for our persecutors and to love without expecting any love in return. As cliche as it may sound, the truth of Scripture is clear. We are to hate the sin and love the sinner. Take, for example, this. We must, as a church, Stand firm on the truth about what the Bible teaches about gender and sexuality. That sex, that there are are two genders created by God to reflect his image, and that sex is between uh, one man and one woman within the covenant of marriage. We need to stand on that truth. But we must also love the sexually immoral among whom we all once lived, by the way. We must give generously to that mom who got pregnant out of wedlock. 
We must have our homosexual neighbors in our home. We must treat transgender people with full dignity and humanity as image bearers. Even as we stand firm on the truth of God, we must not lose the love of God. Flip back with me to Revelation chapter 2. What should we do if we discover a lack of love among us? According to Jesus, remember and repent. Look at the first part of verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Here, this church in Ephesus used to be a church marked by love. They've fallen from where they once were. They had this love at first, and they don't have it anymore. And so Jesus says, remember, when we find lovelessness in our hearts and among us, remember where you once were. Remember what it was like to have that white-hot passion and love for God. Remember what it was like to experience the warmth of loving Christian community. Remember the joy of hospitality toward those who don't know Christ. Remember and then repent. Repent. It means to turn, to change. Jesus says, don't just keep going. Don't even just mourn the loss of how things used to be. He says, make a change. He says, do the works you did at first. If we find lovelessness among us, Jesus calls us to turn, to repent, to change, to love again. And what if we don't? Look at the second half of verse 5. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus says, if you don't repent of your lack of love, I am going to remove your lampstand from its place. Now remember what those lampstands represent. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So let's be real clear here. Jesus says to the Ephesians, if you don't repent of your lack of love, I am not going to consider you my church anymore. So listen to our Lord. Listen to the Lord of the lampstands here. We can have airtight theology. We can be zealous against every form of error. We can have a biblical definition of what is right and what is wrong. We can stand firm against what Jesus hates. But if we don't have love, Jesus does not consider us to be a church. Do you value love at the same level that Jesus values love? Is love of God that important to you? Is love for the church that important to you? Is love toward our unbelieving neighbors that important to you? Jesus says, if you don't have it, you're not a church anymore. We must love like Jesus loves if we are to shine like Jesus wants us to shine. We must not lose love.
finally, we must look to the promise of life. If we are to shine for Christ in truth and love, we need to listen to the Lord of the lampstands. We need to love the truth. We need not to lose love, but then finally we need to look to the promise of life. Again, as we said from the beginning, we need to hear what our God is saying to us in these verses. Look at the first part of verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, Jesus uses this phrase in all seven of the messages to the seven churches. He calls us to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural, all churches. We need to hear. Uh, This is a phrase, though, that Jesus doesn't begin using in Revelation. It's a phrase that Jesus used in his earthly ministry, particularly when he was teaching in parables. And it's a phrase that's based on something that God told Isaiah in Isaiah 6, that Isaiah was going to be sent to people who were going to have ears but not hear. But Jesus says with his parables, those who have ears, let him hear. As Jesus taught in parables, his parables had a twofold effect. For those who didn't have ears to hear, the message of his parables was lost on them. It was like seed hitting hard ground and getting snatched up by the birds of the air. But when Jesus taught in parables and those who had ears to hear received it, his message was heard, understood, received, and fruit came out of the lives of those who had ears to hear. And so as we bring this back to this message of um, Jesus to the Ephesians and he's, this call to repent, what we see here is that those who do repent, those who do love again, show they have ears to hear. Those who don't have ears to hear, this message will come and bounce right off of them. May we have ears to hear and repent of our lovelessness. And there's a promise that Jesus makes if we will, if we will repent. Look at the second half of verse 7. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This idea of conquering comes all throughout Revelation. It's a call to endure. It's a call to stay faithful to Christ. And each of the seven messages ends with this call to conquer and the promise, a promise for the one who conquers. In this case, the promise to the one who endures, who conquers, who remains faithful to Christ all the way to the end is to, that the person who conquers will receive uh, or be able to eat from the tree of life. Now, this image of the tree of life points us to a thread that starts at the very, very, very beginning of the Bible and goes all the way to the very, very, very end of the Bible and is woven all throughout. And let me just give you a taste of this thread and how important it is and how it's all throughout the Bible so that we can get a sense for what's going on here in this verse. (coughs) Throughout Scripture and in our passage today even, uh, what is revealed is that God has a mission. And God's mission is to fill the earth with his glory. His mission is that his glory would shine throughout the world. And he would fill the earth with his glory by filling the earth with people. People who know him and who reflect him and who shine his glory. This started all the way back in Eden. 
There in the Garden of Eden, God placed the first two people, and God dwelled with people in the Garden of Eden. At the center of the Garden of Eden was the tree of life, and he gave his humans the mission to fill the earth with other humans who would reflect his glory. We'll fast forward then to the tabernacle and the temple. God dwelled with his people Israel in the tabernacle and later the temple. And that tabernacle was modeled after the Garden of Eden where God had dwelled with his people. And in the center of the tabernacle was a golden lampstand that was modeled after the tree of life. It was like a tree with one trunk and seven branches. And God gave Israel the mission to shine his glory before the nations. Fast forward then to the church. The church is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us and with us as his temple. And Jesus says that the churches are the golden lampstands. And he has given us now the mission to shine and to fill the earth with his glory by making disciples of Jesus. And then fast forward to the end and the new Jerusalem. God will dwell with his people. And at the center of the new Jerusalem where he will dwell with his people will be the tree of life. And on that day, the earth will be filled with the light of the glory of God. Jesus promises as much in Revelation, in Revelation 22. Flip ahead with me to Revelation 22. Just like each of the seven messages to the seven churches begins with a reference to chapter 1 of Revelation and the vision of Christ, so every seven, each one of the seven messages ends with a reference forward to the last chapters of Revelation. Revelation and the vision of the new heavens and the new earth. Look at Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. By promising us the tree of life, Jesus is inviting us to experience the flourishing that he's always intended for humanity. The flourishing that comes from fulfilling his purpose for us. The flourishing that comes in the paradise of God. The paradise that was foreshadowed in the Garden of Eden. The paradise that was foreshadowed in the tabernacle. The paradise that's foreshadowed even now in the church. And the paradise that we'll experience in its fullness in the new heavens and new earth partaking of the tree of life, living forever in the presence of God with the earth full of his glory. But if we are to reach that day, if we are to experience that tree of life in a new Jerusalem, we must conquer. 
to the one who conquers, Jesus says. Well, how do we conquer? According to Revelation 12, 11, we conquer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. How do we make it to the tree of life? How do we make it? First of all, by the blood of the Lamb. We have access to the tree of life because Jesus went to a tree of death. And there he died for false apostles and churches that lost their love and the sexually immoral and the greedy and haters of parents and haters of neighbor, the rebellious liars. And he took the condemnation and death that we deserve on himself so that we could be washed in the blood of the Lamb. We can conquer and make it to the tree of life by the blood of the Lamb. If we trust in Jesus' death for us, we can have eternal life in paradise with God forever. We also conquer by the word of our testimony. Those of us who trust the blood of the Lamb, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus calls to endure, to stay faithful, to stay faithful to preach the gospel, to stay faithful to the truth of God, to stay faithful in love for God and neighbor. Even through toil and endurance, we are called to stay faithful as we look to the promise of life. The question for us as a church today is, Will we shine or will we grow dim? Will we shine? Will we listen to the Lord of the lampstands? Will we love the truth and not grow weary? Will we love God and love neighbor without wavering? Will we look to the promise of life? May we push back the darkness around us and shine for Christ through truth and love. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word to us. I thank you that you have made us a lampstand, a city on a hill. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to shine in the darkness and that, Lord, that would start with bowing to Christ's authority or that we would not let anybody else's authority shape our mission. Lord, I pray that we would shine as we stand for the truth. Lord, I pray that you would give us strength as we face the weariness that comes from seeking to stand for the truth. And Lord, I pray that as we do that we would not lose our love. Uh, Lord, that we would not be a church of cold orthodoxy, but a church of white-hot worship of the one true God as revealed in Scripture. Lord, I pray that we would love you well, love one another well, and love the lost around us well. And Lord, as we seek to endure, Lord, I pray that we would fix our eyes 
on the tree of life that you promised to all those who endure to the last day. Lord, that we would stand firm on the cross of Christ, the blood of the Lamb that forgives us of our sin, that can transform us and change us and lead us to repentance. And Lord, that as we fix our eyes on that tree of life, that we would continue to shine bright as your lamp stands into the dark world. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.